Episode 141, Ellen Patnode, communication coach and owner of the firm Lead Quine. Just a general badass. I feel like I, I've got a long history of saying things that people need to hear. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links to more information about Ellen and her work, look in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 141. As always, thanks for listening. Now on with the show. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and our guest today is Ellen Patno. She is a communications coach. She's a leader, uh, owner of the firm Leadquine, and her LinkedIn headline describes her as this. I love this. Truth teller, peopling guru, and tough cookie. Um, so Ellen, before I tell you a little bit more about Ellen, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks, Mark. I'm happy to be here. What, what, or do, do, do you like all three of those labels equally, truth teller, people and guru, and tough cookie? Yeah. And I, I wasn't sure it was appropriate to put swear words in my title, or there probably would have been a couple of those smattered in because, <laughs> you know, authenticity is kind of a big deal for me. So probably the truth teller part is um, one that I resonate with very strongly. Uh, but I also feel like I've picked up a thing or two along the way about um, working effectively with people. So I take ownership of all three. <laughs> yeah. So hence the peopling guru. I mean, we're, we're, we're on a podcast here and it's adults <laughs> listening. What's, what would, what would be your most authentic uncensored way of saying it then? Oh, just general badass. I mean, <laughs> just a general badass. I feel like I, um, I've got a long history of saying things that people need to hear. And for a, a long time early in my career and early before my adult life, I would say I was um, much less censored and filtered than I am now. And so uh, I've just I've heard that phrase turned back to me many times that uh, somebody introduced me like that at a meeting actually a few weeks ago is that this is just a general <laughs> she's a general badass. Well, you need to know. So <laughs> it's a badge I would claim. Okay. Um, so I think we will, we'll talk later about communication and I'll, I'll come back to asking you about um, being less censored and less filtered. I, I don't need to bleep out general badass. I think that's, <laughs> right. yeah. that's great. Um, so occasionally I've been able to interview um, somebody here on the podcast who uh, I go way back with. And I actually first met Ellen in high school, and maybe let me, let me turn it to you. Um, you want to share some of the context of, of how we knew each other? <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story. So I went to a Detroit public high school, Renaissance, whoop, whoop, that was, um, at that time, it was a college prep high school, and we did not have a marching band. We did not have a football team. And so I was participating in a weekend symphony orchestra, um, and I was a musician and, uh, I think that it was hosted at Churchill. Right. And I think that we, we initially yeah, mm -hmm. met that way through, through a few people that were in that group. Um, 
in the weekend thing and then became friends with you and with a, another mutual friend and started coming to the football games so that I wouldn't have to completely miss out on that experience of high school. So yeah, yeah it's been a few the, years. The Bonnie Churchill High School. And yeah. And then as things go, um, then Facebook comes around and you reconnect mm-hmm. with people. And um, Ellen is a, a very good follow on LinkedIn, I will say, by the way, of um, Thank you. smart, thoughtful posts and videos. Um, so I encourage you to go find Ellen and follow her um, on LinkedIn. Um, you, you make my feed better when I see something from you. Ah, there, so I thank you. do appreciate that. And I should have mentioned by mistake, um, leadquine.com. Um, is is Ellen's uh, website. So uh, we'll we'll rather than going deeper into the memory hole on <laughs> orchestra stories and musical endeavors, that's that's not why we're here today. As fun as it is to think about that, but um, Ellen, as as we uh, always do here, I want to hear your story. Um, what would you say is your favorite mistake? So I gave this a lot of thought because I first noticed your podcast um, quite a while ago and thought, well, that would be really fun. But I feel like I've made so many mistakes over the years that they all blur together, right? And so Mm -hmm. I I had a hard time pinpointing one. But a turning point early in my career was when I became a community organizer. So this was back in 1998. And I, uh, I I was, you know, fairly raw, fairly new at adulting still. And I, um, I joined an organization and part of my training was following some of the other organizers to meet the, the teams of people that were working in this organization. And one of the organizers, this was faith-based community organizing, by the way, so the members were all churches. So uh, I followed one of the organizers to what actually was his home church. And uh, this was in East Chicago, Indiana, a suburb of Gary. And uh, we attended a meeting of leaders and I was so nervous sitting down at that table to meet these leaders. And I was so eager to prove my credibility and my worth that I deserve to be there. And, uh, and so I, I started listening to their meeting. They were kind of like eyeing me skeptically. They weren't sure who this young white girl was walking into this black church in the middle of East Chicago. And um I'm, I'm politely listening to what they have to say, except that I'm not really listening. I'm actually just listening for something that I can grab onto to prove my credibility and prove that I belonged at that table. And so after a few minutes, I finally heard something. One of the women mentioned a particular kind of community meeting that she'd attended. And I interrupted and said, oh, I've attended a meeting like that as well back in Detroit when I was growing up with my parents. Here's my experience. And she looked at me and waited for me to finish, but then just turned to me and was like, what the hell does that have to do with what we are talking about right now? And I was like, "Uh, I I don't, I, I just, I wanted you to know my experience. And I really wish, Mark, that I could say that I backed off in that moment and, yeah. you know, apologize. I did not. Uh-huh. I plowed ahead um, because I was determined to prove my credibility at this table. So I argued with her about why the story was relevant to the conversation. And she uh-huh. just looked at me and eventually <laughs> said, you know what? You're not here to save us, sweetheart. We're not in Detroit. We're in East Chicago. And um, this doesn't have anything to do with our current struggles. Your past experiences don't buy you credibility at this table. 
And I just felt like I'd been slapped in the face. And it was just all wrapped up in this assumption, right? Several assumptions, one of Mm -hmm. which was that, first of all, I had something to prove showing up. Um, Another assumption was that my past experiences and the fact that I'd grown up in Detroit in the the inner city would buy me some sort of a ticket or a piece of credibility to sit at that table, um, rather than just showing up and being a human being, just Mm -hmm. listening Mm -hmm. and engaging and um, just being authentic and seeing and hearing the people that were sitting at that table right where they were. And, uh, it was, it was a very, it was a very embarrassing moment and it was an incredibly important lesson. And I'm grateful now that I had it Mm -hmm. because for two reasons, really one is because it was at the beginning of being a community organizer. It taught me so much about the importance of showing up and asking questions and listening and meeting people where they were versus having all of those assumptions or my own agenda. Um, and then secondly, more, you know, later in my career now, 20 years later, 20 plus years later, focusing back, reflecting back over that, it um, it's really a pattern has become clear of challenges that I've seen in myself and in lots of people that I work with of assumptions being a general central um, problem that people face. So that's my wow. story. Wow. It's, 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 it's really interesting story. And there's a lot we can um, sort of dig into there and and talk more about assumptions, but um, you've probably heard the expression, people throw this around, um, you know, feedback is a gift. (laughs) It doesn't maybe always feel like a gift, but that woman in that interaction, boy, she gave you quite a gift. I mean, at least, I mean, she gave you that, that feedback, um, but there's there's often a lesson there, like because because she could have reacted differently. She could have just placated you or said, "Oh, okay, that's nice," and then just kind of <laughs> turned away, stewing about yes. you. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was back to your point about I guess being uncensored, unfiltered. She set yeah. an example in a way of telling you her perspective and what she thought and how she reacted to you with good. Yeah. You had good intentions. Right. Right. But, you know, the road to hell is paved with those. So, you know, we can't we can't sit on our good intentions, but you're right. And I I, I've done some written reflection about this experience recently. And, uh, you know, one of the things I realized is that in the moment it felt like a nasty slap across the face. But what I realized, you know, not very long later was that it was actually more like a firm hug, like tough love, pull your shit together, pull your head out of your ass. You are not a savior. You're not here to save anybody. You're a 25 year old little white girl embarking on your next career post science experiment. And so, um, you know, just take a breath, right? Take a breath. We we've got this. You're, you're here to support, not to, not to save. So it was an important lesson. So in, in the short term, were you able to recover from that and work with her or work with that group of community organizers effectively then? What, what, yeah. what happened next? Yeah. So um, I spent two years in that region and mm-hmm. um, moved only because the organization came to a, a critical moment and it was uh, time for several of us to move on to other places. So I took an opportunity that took me to Ohio, but in those two years that I was there, um, 
I, uh, I was not, I didn't oversee the churches that were, most of the churches in East Chicago were overseen by the organizer I was shadowing. There were a handful in East Chicago and then, um, the rest of the churches I worked with were based in uh, Hammond, which was another suburb. And so it, um, that church wasn't actually part of my territory. I did see that woman um, at other functions. She had been a leader for years. She continued to be a leader. And, you know, after I was able to eat some humble pie, which took me a couple of weeks to, you know, get over myself, um, I did actually apologize to her on another occasion and she accepted my apology and, and basically said, pull your head out of your ass. Yeah. I mean, she was the one that told me like, listen, we're here because we all believe in the same thing. So take the lump and learn mm-hmm. the lesson and, and do better. Right. We expect you to do better. We didn't hire you to, to behave like that. And I was yeah. like, fair enough. Um, ask yeah. kick received. <laughs> so, Hug, ass kick, right? Two All sides of, of a coin. Yeah. Sometimes, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure her comment from came from a place of, "Let me help you help us." Absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was able to. It was. I, I really do trace a pretty direct line between that experience and then walking into other churches, walking into people's homes. Um, to you know, build relationships with them, understand what they were facing in their communities, and stop trying to project my own assumptions or my own agenda onto them, but rather really listen to them. And because I did that, I had a tremendous amount of success in some other places within that same region. So it it really it did pay off. I was able to um, work with that team of organizers in that group of churches, and it was a, it was a pretty amazing experience. Well, that's great. So I'm glad there was, you know, some learning and opportunity to adjust um, yeah. from that. And um, yeah, I mean, I can tell that that story has stuck with you in a way that um, has proven helpful. And and as as you work with others, you know, you 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 help people get better at communicating and interacting with others. You you, you mentioned assumptions. Like, what what are some common assumptions that 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 hamper our ability to connect with others or our ability to to communicate with others um i would say the number one assumption that i see get people in trouble is that they have um correctly heard what is being asked of them so uh I think sometimes in a, in a busy workplace, we're moving quickly, right? We're task managing, we're moving quickly. There's a lot of pressure, especially now, right? There's a shortage in every single office and company that I work with. And so, um, you know, every, it's all hands on deck. Everybody's constantly moving. I think one of the assumptions is we get moving a little too quickly. We don't clarify. We don't bother to stop and clarify the expectations, clarify, anything, the details, the deadlines, how you want something done, any of it. I, there's a thousand examples that I, I hear every week about how that mm-hmm. shows up. Mm-hmm. So one assumption is that we've just, we've heard it, we take it at face value, we've heard it and we're ready to move on. Um, but there, there are several ways that assumptions show up. I've really come to believe that this, I've started writing a book about this because I see it everywhere now. And so as I'm doing all this writing and reflecting, it's becoming clear there are, I really think that assumptions are sort of the number one reason why we have conflict. 
I think that assumptions undermine every type of relationship that we have. And when those relationships become damaged or broken, I, I've yet to hear of a situation where you can trace it back to something other than assumptions being made um, in, in the communication that's happening between two people. So, um, you know, a, another common one is that we, we assume that we know what somebody's perspective is or what they have experienced, um, which is what I did in my story. I assumed what their experience was and I assumed they would want to know mine, um, which was not the case. So, you know, making assumptions going into a conversation that we already know what we need to know and that we know best um, about how to move forward. And so that's another big way that I think it gets in people's way. Yeah. So back to that, that, that first example you shared of uh, making an assumption that we've correctly heard what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm thinking of, um, I'm full of cliches today, uh, miscommunication <laughs> is a two-way street. Sure. Um, do, do you what's your advice for leaders if they are giving what they think is clear direction? Um, how you know where, where's the balance of a leader kind of asking for clarification of you know do you, testing like here's what I thought I said did the person hear what I thought um, I was telling them to check for understanding versus the receiver of that information or direction testing, hey, let me let me repeat back to you. Is is this what you're asking? Can 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 I mean you know both people do that or where 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 do you think the onus would be in, in a workplace? Yeah, I I do I think absolutely that uh everybody is responsible, right? Two people in a conversation, both people have responsibility for how that conversation goes. And so I think that if you know if a leader is laying out some some expectations for a team member, then at the end of it, I think a couple of fair questions that don't necessarily make it sound like it's your mother saying, now repeat back to me when I just <laughs> told you. Um, you know, we don't want to get condescending, certainly. But um, one way that you can test whether that person has understood you is to say, where do you think you might start? Uh, what's the first thing you might do to tackle this? What support do you think you might need along the way? Um, another great question is, where do you think you might encounter challenges with this? And, and who are you going to go to if you encounter those challenges? Because that gets the other person to start processing. You know, I think sometimes when a team member is talking to their boss, for example, there can be, especially if they're relatively new in their position, there can be a real hesitation to ask questions because everybody, it seems, when they get first hired in a position is, a, well, some people anyway, are afraid that at any moment the company is going to discover that they made a huge mistake and that this person doesn't actually belong in that job, right? I think there's some insecurity that a lot of people walk around sure. with. It could just be me. I'm not sure. No, it's but imposter I have syndrome. I, <laughs> imposter syndrome is a phrase used enough, yes, I think. Yes, can yeah. relate. So yeah. I, I think sometimes it can be difficult for the team member to do the asking because they don't want to reveal that they forgot to listen for a moment because they started thinking or that they didn't understand some part of what was uh, explained. So I think it's nice that if a leader can be the one to say, like, tell me where you might get started. And then it forces the other person to start thinking. But I do think it's important that we just, we learn to ask better questions. I I had um, a client yesterday that I was talking to actually about this exact thing. And she was saying, you know, I think we have to strike a balance between what kind of questions we're asking, though, because 
I might ask questions that will make the other person feel as though I am questioning the legitimacy of the expectation or that I'm somehow trying to undermine them. Right. And uh, whereas if I, if I just think about different questions I could ask that would really help clarify things, that's a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. So asking something like, let me make sure that I understood. Um, I feel like I'm still getting the hang of this. Would you mind mm -hmm. if I just recap what I'm taking away? Mm -hmm. I can't think of a single leader who would be like, uh, F you, get out of my office. No. no. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good question to ask. On the other hand, um, I actually was um, fired from the job at the University of Michigan that I, um, when I reconnected with you, yes, yeah. I was fired from that job because I asked the wrong kinds of questions. And the leader uh -huh. of that department felt that my questions were undermining her authority because I would, and I was, you know, probably kind of arrogant at that point, but I would ask things like, have you thought about it this way? Or, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think of examples of things I would ask her. I would ask questions that led her to believe that I was second guessing her mm, or that I was yeah. questioning her um, ability to do the job. And frankly, she was questioning her own ability to well, do the job. But so I mean, that, I mean, that, thing, that, but. that question, the way you said it, and I mean, you know, there's both the words and the tone, like that doesn't sound threatening. Some of that could have been on her. Like oh, you yeah, said, if, she, if, if, if that leader, if a leader's insecure in their position, and some of it maybe is a matter of relationships of mm -hmm. knowing I've worked with someone long enough, I can push back and challenge and maybe sure. not be filtered or censored and they'll be okay with that. As opposed mm -hmm. to somebody maybe, you know, you don't have as much of um, a background with. Um, so, but that, I mean, that sounds like that could have been a favorite mistake <laughs> story as well. Um, <laughs> not to make light of yeah. that. I'm glad you, um, yeah. Yeah. A bonus story there. But um, I mean, you, I thought you were using really good examples there in the scenarios you're giving of asking open-ended questions. Sure asking questions that don't come across as aggressive and, you know, you know, even in the best tone of, well, why do you want me to do that? Yeah. Why do you want me yeah. to do that? Or right. like, there's different ways of saying those same Absolutely. words with different inflection. Um, help me, but, but maybe it's softened up like, you know, in, in healthcare settings, sometimes people are often coached to speak to somebody in a power position of, well, help me understand blah, 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 blah. Like that kind yep. of softens it a little bit. So like, help me understand the goals of this project might be a little bit softer than, well, why do you want me to do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a phrase we use a lot as well in, in, in the coaching that I do and the work I do with teams um, to uh, just, it makes it about you. I'm, I'm not questioning your authority and I'm mm -hmm. not saying you did anything wrong. I'm telling you that I would like to make sure I understood it correctly, mm -hmm. right? It puts it, takes it out of an accusatory position and puts it back to you. So that's definitely a good way to approach. Um, testing assumptions is you know, something that gets talked about a lot in entrepreneurship circles and, and you've started a business, you're in that group of entrepreneurs um, of thinking like the risk to a business. I assume people are going to want to buy this product or service. Well, there are ways to go and try to test that assumption, or some would even say, pick the riskiest assumption. Like, what, what, which of these assumptions, if untrue, would really be damaging? And go and test the assumptions. Are, are, are there parallels 
in some of the, you know, kind of work relationships or communications of if, can we try to be more aware of our assumptions and either test or ask questions about said assumptions? I, I think that it's helpful. Leaders have to reflect, right? Uh, any, any good leader that I know takes time to stop and regularly evaluate how effective they are. So the first thing is to figure out if there's a situation where you're not getting the result that you want or need out of a team member or a colleague, sit down and think about what's happening in that situation. Are there interactions that you're having that are contributing to the result? Where, where is it contributing to the result that isn't productive? So in that reflection process, I think you can often spot places where you realize you were going on an assumption. Um, and I, I swear it's like a threshold process, right? Once you see it, it's so hard to unsee it. So now I'm constantly spotting the ways in which assumptions are hurting conversations that I'm having or conversations that are being described to me by a coaching client. Um, so always being willing to, to say, you know what, let me stop for a second and back up. I want to make sure that what I just said is actually accurate in your view. Let's make sure we, let's take a few steps back and make sure there's agreement every step of the way. Right. It's a it's a really well-known Sandler sales technique to get agreement from day from the first every point of the conversation. Just get agreement all along the way to make sure that your prospect is staying with you and leading themselves through the sales process. So a lot of those techniques carry over into just how we have conversations because you're kind of selling ideas sometimes. So there's application there that I think um just recognizing, being willing to stop and reflect and recognizing where it's happening so that you can walk it back and say, you know what, let me just go back and check this out with you. See if we're on the same page. That's very um, helpful advice. And um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, a couple other things, but first off, um, your your firm, Leadquine, um, the the tagline is taking blinders off your team. I was wondering if you tell Mm -hmm. the audience the story behind that phrase and the name of the firm. And I think that's kind of cool to hear about. Yeah, it's one of the things that makes us different uh, as an organization. Um, So I've actually been in business for myself for, um, it's going to be 17 years this May. But Leadquine is a brand that we began in 2016. Um, My wife is a lifelong horsewoman. And she... uh, she has long navigated the corporate world. Uh, she works in manufacturing. She's a quality engineer. And she has been watching dynamics with teams her, her whole career. And it, was, uh, it struck me how often she would comment on the comparison to watching horses and the dynamics that would happen and the things that she learned about how to, how to understand what was happening in a team based on what she'd learned from spending so much time with horses. So we got this crazy idea in 2016 that we were going to add a component to the business that um, we branded Leadquine. And uh, that name was more interesting than the previous, you know, boring Pat Node professionals name. So that's the branding that we've stuck with. But uh, we introduced a line of workshops, which we still offer, where a small team can work with horses to understand what their communication dynamics are and where they might need to make adjustments. So there's no riding involved. We put a small team of people into an arena with horses um, and we have them 
go through a series of exercises where they have to, they have an objective that they have to accomplish. And in, in completing each exercise, they're trying to get the horses or the horse that they're paired with to do something. And they have to use various methods. There's always rules about it. I'll give you an example. One is where um, three people have to stand together, linking arms and saddle a horse. And the middle person is the only one who can talk. They're the brain in the exercise. And the other two people, the one on the left side can only use their left hand. The one on the right side can only use the right hand. They can do the actions, but only what the brain is telling them to do. It is, it sounds very simple. It is an amazing study in human behavior to watch what happens between that team of three people trying to saddle that horse. And so the horses give off signals like, you know, the ears start to get a little flat, like you're really irritating me right now. Um, uh, and, and then the people have to struggle through this. There's other activities where it's much more about what the horses are doing. They can tell you things from their behavior, but they don't care how much money you make. They don't care what your title is. They don't care how fancy you think you are. Um, what they care about is whether they think that you are aggressive or safe. And if they think you're safe, they're going to do what you ask them to do. And if they think you're aggressive, they're going to continuously move away from you. And that's kind of what happens in the workplace, too. So there's this great translation that happens. We did not invent this. There are other companies that do this. We learned from a great trainer from Texas, actually. Um, but it's a, it's a series of workshops that have really, the teams who have gone through it have found pretty amazing benefit from understanding you know, in real time, because, you know, you can't, your mind can't wander. You're not distracted when you're in an arena with 1200 pound animals or, or 400 pound in the case of our minis. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's where, that's where that, uh, part of our name came from. Yeah. Well, it's a, a, a very unique approach to, um, learning and, and, and team building. And I'm sure the reflection that's triggered by that, um, prompted by that, um, but yeah, so a follow-up question about the, the saddling exercise is part part of the difficulty or part of the lesson there, I'm, I'm just guessing, not having experienced this, that if a leader is stuck in a mode of you know, what, what a lot of people would call command and control leadership, do as I say, here's the order, you need to follow them, that ends up being ineffective in workplaces. And in the moment with that saddling, I'm sure there's frustration where the, the, the person being in, in the role of the right hand can't ask follow-up questions, can't make suggestions about how to do this more effectively. Are, are those some of the things that, that play out? Yes, that, that dynamic does emerge. Uh, another very common dynamic that emerges is leaders begin to understand um, how unclear they are in giving directions. They begin to understand that they're, they're way too high level, they're big picture, they're not giving enough information or enough detail. Um, but absolutely that frustration from all three people of not being able to engage in a conversation often ends up just highlighting how important it is and re reinforcing for that team how important it is that they take the time to make sure there's two-way communication between them and they aren't just resorting to that, well, I sent you an email you should be accomplishing <laughs> right. this project, right? So Yeah, because yeah. there's, again, assumptions. And I think of there's different training exercises that I help lead and I've learned of helping people reflect on their 
approach to training. So we can do training about how to do training. And, you know, there, there are ex- exercises that help illustrate that point of you may think this written procedure is clear. It was clear to the person who wrote it. And then when you dig into it, there are all sorts of assumptions of baseline <laughs> knowledge, assumptions mm-hmm. about understanding terminology, assumptions of, well, they should have known this particular detail that guess what was not documented because right. the person who wrote the document assumed understanding. And, and one of the lessons, like you said, is to turn training into much more of a two-way discussion and Absolutely. testing for confirmation of understanding, you know, asking somebody to um, not just demonstrate what they've learned, but to teach it back can right. be a really helpful way of making sure that there, are, that, that there aren't bad assumptions being made in the course of training people on a job or an aspect of a job. Yeah. Absolutely. There was a situation described to me yesterday where um, someone, the the leader asked the team member, I was speaking to the team member, the leader asked the team member to uh, put together a report and told her what he wanted in that report, um, but didn't give her a lot of direction beyond that. And so she sort of struggled through trying to guess what he wanted Um And uh, after a couple of hours, she discovered that there was actually um, a procedure and a template that was supposed to be used for this kind of report. Well, I mean, we can see on both sides where the breakdown was, right? The leader assumed that she already knew that this template existed and that she would just go to the template and follow those instructions. Um, And she assumed that she would just be able to figure it out and didn't bother to go and ask follow-up questions and was just trying to struggle through it on her own. So there were a lot of issues at at play in that dynamic, but um, it it really is astonishing to me. Well, it's not astonishing, but it is confirmed over and over again to me how how pervasive this is, that we we just make assumptions at every turn and, uh, and, and it can be connected to pretty much every every workplace example that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Um, again, our guest today has been Ellen Patnode. You can learn more about her. Uh, her website is leadquine.com. I'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes. Um, you, you mentioned earlier, final question, Ellen, um, you mentioned that you're writing a book. Uh, tell us <laughs> a business book. Tell us more. Tell us more about the book and what your plans are for that. I am. So I am, uh, I'm, <laughs> I feel compelled to write a book. I've, I've always enjoyed writing. I write a blog regularly. Um, I enjoy that way of processing experiences and um, pulling lessons out of it. It's an important part of my own reflection process. So uh, I've been asked for a long time by clients um, if I've ever, you know, published anything that they wanted to read. So I've decided to write this book about assumptions because it is the subject that just keeps pulling my attention over and over at the root of every communication challenge that I can see. Um, So it is a book that highlights all of the different ways, or I won't say all, but I will say 10 different ways that assumptions really disrupt communication and can be harmful. And, uh, I'll be real honest, most of the book is me telling you all of the things I have completely screwed up in this, um, I just saved you a bleep there, Um, screwed up about this stuff because I get it wrong, like literally all the time I get it wrong. 
Um, I like to think I'm getting a little bit better now, but for years I got it very wrong. And so it's just stories from my own experience and then me reflecting on what those stories mean and what we can take from them. And then every chapter does end with a, like, this is how it should be done. And it's not usually me that's highlighted in that story. Occasionally it is. Uh, but I do think it's, um, hopefully it'll make people laugh, laugh at themselves, because I think that makes it easier to receive that feedback as a gift, um, as you said earlier. And then also just really take something meaningful out of how we've got to accept more responsibility for our own roles in this stuff. And it, it starts with being willing to stop and think about what we've done. So yeah, it's the, uh, expe- the expected publication date is early fall of this year. That's great. And people can sign up to get updates about the book um, Mm -hmm. at Ellen's website, again, leadquine.com. And uh, the way you stated that you feel compelled to write it, that's what's going to lead to you finishing the book. Yeah. That that, that feeling, because there are a lot of times people say, I want to write a book or I should write a book. And that might lead to getting started. But yeah, the way the way you stated it. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll get there. So, um, again, I'll look forward to that and hope the audience will, um, check that out. Maybe when the book is released, we can come back and do a little quick, uh, kind of recap episode to let people know that that's available. So, uh, again, Ellen Patnode, um, leadership coach, communication coach. We didn't address this up front. Flutes and piccolo. (laughs) were your instruments. I don't think you said, right? (laughs) I did not not say, Mark, maybe that was on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) I made a bad assumption that it was okay. Yes, you did. No, that's fine. I'm just teasing you. Yeah, no. Yep. Flute player primarily and piccolo player uh, when needed. And uh, I still have the ability to pick it up and, and put a few tunes out. I'm happy to say I managed to help pass those genes along to my two boys, both of whom are very musical. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of music in our house. Well, Ellen was in uh, the front row of the orchestra on the woodwind side. Is that where the flute? Yeah. Piccolo? And I was in the back banging, banging on, on some timpani. And timpani <laughs> and so, uh, but I'm glad, even though we were physically separated by those rows in the orchestra that we could meet and, and yeah. be friends. And it's really good to, um, do the podcast and uh, reconnect here. So thanks again, Alan. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me, Mark. This was a lot of fun. You made it really easy. Well, thanks again to Ellen for being a wonderful guest today. Again, to learn more about her and her firm and her work, look in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 141. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.